The text for this morning's service is taken from Ephesians 5, the verses 18 through 21. Let's read that again. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 38, the stanzas 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this morning we are going to have an open house in our newly renovated church building. As you know, the renovation is not yet complete. That will be the case a few months from now, the Lord willing. But this morning we are invited after the church service to see how far the work has progressed. We're going to be allowed to walk the hallways and to take a peek into the various rooms. We have to use our imagination as to what it's going to look like once the renovation has been completed. Of course, there will be some limits to our wanderings in the building. You wouldn't want to actually enter the furnace room, for example, where your clothes might get dirty or torn. Nor would you want to touch things in the electrical room either. That would be dangerous. That's off limits. We especially have to keep an eye out for the children. Children are curious and want to touch things and to go to places where they shouldn't go. To get the renovation to this point is the result of a lot of work and of many sacrifices, both financial and physical. Professional tradesmen have been there every day in the last few months to do their work. And also some volunteers have showed up on occasion to help, although yesterday only one or two volunteers showed up. But the work could not have progressed without proper leadership, with men with vision who coordinated the activities and who rallied the people to give a helping hand and to make financial contributions. It has to be a combined effort. But everybody has to put their shoals under it. What has this got to do with the sermon this morning? Well, God's church is also a building. It's a building that's also in progress. And it is not yet complete. It won't be complete until the last day. In the meantime, sacrifices have to be made. There has to be a coordinated effort in order for that building to be completed. We need proper leadership and a clear vision of what that building is going to look like and of how to accomplish that. Paul refers to that building earlier in his letter. He says, for example, in Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 20, that we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling, in, a dwelling in which God lives by the Holy Spirit. Thus far Paul. And so the building blocks of that building are the members of the church. Each member is a building block. 
Christ himself is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important stone of the building. The cornerstone sets the direction and determines what the other blocks should look like. From there it is also determined what the dimensions and the boundaries of the building are. We're about to start a new season. Catechism will begin again next week. The societies will be meeting again. And so will the various committees. The elders are going to make their rounds to the congregation by making home visits. The deacons will start their work as well. And so there are many other activities that will take place. In so doing, we are all going to be part of that building process. And we have to do the things in the right way. We have to do the things in a way so that we can get the maximum out of each member of the congregation. For each one of us brings his own talents and his own way of contributing. No one is allowed to be left out with regard to the building of God's church. We all have our task. But it is not something we can do on our own. And therefore I chose this text of Ephesians for the opening of the season. The text says that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a command, not an option. But this command is given in the passive tense. In other words, it is not something which we do ourselves in the first place, but it is something that God does. But we also have to allow him to do that. That's where the command comes in. God also puts you and me to work. It's also put in the present tense. The form that the original language uses indicates that this must be an ongoing activity. We must keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is only with those kinds of building blocks, building blocks full of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord God can complete his building. How does that happen? That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. The theme is as follows. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we will see three things. Be joyful, be thankful, be submissive. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, we must be joyful. How does God's building get completed? How are those building blocks constructed? Well, Paul gives all kinds of directions to the church at Ephesus, and therefore also to us. For this letter is meant also for you and for me. He says that if you want to be a good building block, then you have to stay within certain boundaries. You have to conduct yourself in a certain way. And so he says, in that previous, in the section just prior to our text, he says, don't be a liar, don't steal, do something useful with your hands, share with those in need, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, be kind and compassionate, forgive each other, be imitators of God, of God live a life of love, don't be sexually immoral, and so he goes on and on. It's quite a list. He sets quite a few boundaries. 
how in the world are we going to be able to live up to that and how are we going to be able to put all that into practice? For we are all sinful people. We're all like children who want to go beyond the boundaries. And he gives that instruction to us this morning. First he says to us in the text that we are not to get drunk on wine and that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk. That's where the line is drawn. Don't step over that line. When Paul says don't get drunk, then he does not just refer to the abuse of alcohol, but then he refers to a worldly lifestyle in general. He does not want us to live like the world, which gives in to its passions and desires. The apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants to set boundaries to our behavior. But where exactly are those boundaries? Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line, for example, with alcohol? For Paul does not forbid the use of alcohol, only the abuse. What is abuse? What are the limits? If we like alcohol, then we may set the boundaries too far. The same thing is true of other things. Young people especially push the limits of their freedom. Of course, we all do that. But especially when you are young, you are not aware yet of the dangers that exist in a worldly lifestyle. You think that you can handle your freedom. You think that it does no harm when you drink too much or when you use recreational drugs. And you think that it does no harm if you experiment a little bit with sex. After all, everybody else is doing it. When we do these things, then we are seeking our freedom outside of the boundaries that God has set. But now the second part of that verse. We are told to let the Holy Spirit fill us. And you see, that gives us a lot of room. That gives us a lot of freedom. The Holy Spirit allows us to do many things, many wonderful things. But sometimes we put boundaries in the way where there shouldn't be boundaries. Too often we limit that freedom, the freedom that God gives us. For example... It says in the text that we can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The obvious application here is that there are those who would limit our singing to only the psalms. According to them, hymns and spiritual songs do not belong in the worship service. For when Paul speaks here about hymns and spiritual songs, he is actually referring to certain sections in the book of Psalms. But is that really true? I preached about this before, and so I will not belabor that point today. But let me just remind you of the fact that a psalm itself is a prayer. That is what scripture teaches us. And that is clear from Psalm 72, verse 20, where it says that this ends the prayers of David. These prayers refer to the previous psalms. And in church we pray. When a minister prays, he does that in accordance with God's words, even though he uses his own words. And you all pray along, don't you? 
The same thing is true of our singing. That's also praying together. And that singing also has to be in accordance with God's word. That is why in the parallel passage in Colossians 3 verse 16 it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are to be in accordance with the words of Christ. It says in that text, we should not limit our freedom by not singing hymns in the church. That is one way in which we limit our freedoms as Christians, given to us through the Holy Spirit. There are other things that we limit ourselves. We are afraid of new things. We prescribe all kinds of do's and don'ts. But when we do that, then you must ask yourself the question, am I putting up those limits, those boundaries, because God has put those boundaries up? Or because that is the way I like it? Is it because I am afraid of change and want to serve the Lord through my rules and regulations? Or is it because I'm truly convinced on the basis of God's word that God limits us in this way? Time and again we have to ask those kinds of questions. We may not put up boundaries, we may not put up lines where God doesn't put up boundaries. And we may not rob others of the joy of of serving God either. I remember once a young lady who was new to the faith and who came out of the church joyfully skipping along. This girl was full of enthusiasm. But then an older member of the church told her to stop it. It's irreverent. You can't do that here. And the older member of the congregation robbed this young lady of her joy at that moment. You could see it on the girl's face. The smile was gone. The comparison that Paul makes with regard to being filled with wine or the Holy Spirit may surprise us somewhat. These two concepts are diametrically opposed to one another. Alcohol and the Holy Spirit. The one you can buy in the liquor store and the other one you see from God. Yet there is more to this comparison than you might think. On the day of Pentecost, the two were also confused with one another. At one time, at at the time that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, there were those in the midst who were of the opinion that those people who were filled with the Holy Spirit were drunk with wine. They had too much to drink, they thought. And it's understandable because the Holy Spirit and wine have the same effect. Both the Holy Spirit and the Holy and both the alcohol and the Holy Spirit do something to you. They make you lose your inhibitions and they make you happy. They make you say and do things, including skipping along joyfully, that otherwise you might not do. You lose a certain control over yourself. But that's where the comparison ends. When you drink too much, then you lose your way. But when you are full of the Holy Spirit, then you follow God's way. 
When you are drunk, you're out of control. But when you are full of the Holy Spirit, then you are controlled by God. When you are full of alcohol, you become loose-lipped. And you sing with gusto. But the songs you sing display the depravity of your heart. When you are full of the Holy Spirit, then you also sing with gusto, but then you sing with great joy because you sing songs in accordance with God's word. You sing the songs of joy, songs about your salvation. And then you do it, as the text says, by making music in your heart to the Lord. When you go to a pub, you go to a place where you put your life in danger. For that's where fights occur and sometimes murder. Just read the newspapers. That's where the fights and the murders happen. But when you go to church, then you go to the workshop of the Holy Spirit. A place of peace and harmony and reconciliation is promoted rather than hostility and anger and strife. To be intoxicated is the worldly remedy for the cares and worries of this life. Paul says in verse 19 of chapter 4 that those who have given in to the desires of the flesh have lost all sensitivity and have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Someone who is an unrepentant alcoholic will not be saved. As Paul says in chapter 5 verse 5, No immoral, impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. As I said, the Holy Spirit, like alcohol, makes you lose some of your inhibitions. But it doesn't mean that you lose control. It means that you let God's word guide you in the things you do and in the things you say. It means that you allow the Holy Spirit to open yourself up, first of all to God and the second place to others. That is how the Holy Spirit works in your heart. And that is how the Holy Spirit makes you also be accountable to God and to others. For when you have the Holy Spirit in you, and then you know and you are assured that God also forgives you your sins. You are full of joy because of those things, and you want to talk to others about it. It makes you open up your mouth. And when you are joyful, then you are also thankful. Those two go together. We come to the second point. Think about David. He sinned against God when he committed adultery. His adultery with Bathsheba and then he had her husband killed. This unconfessed sin made him feel self-conscious. And it closed himself off to others. As it says in Psalm 32 verse 3, he kept silent. He drew a wall around himself. He felt deflated. He had no joy. He was depressed. He felt like his bones were wasting away. But when did his joy return? As soon as he confessed his sins. And then the Holy Spirit once again came into his heart. 
And then he says in the last verse of that same of that same psalm, he could tell others to rejoice in the Lord and be glad and to sing. Because that's how he felt. He could speak openly about his salvation. And he gladly did so. And he taught others to do that as well. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young people. That's also what we are to do during this study season. We have to come together. And we have to, to express the joy that we have because of our salvation. And we have to express that joy in every way that God allows. Don't put restrictions where there should be no restrictions. But don't go beyond the boundaries either. The boundaries that God has set. Our Christian religion is not a religion of do's and don'ts. It is a religion of joy. Even the commandments are a joy to you, a delight to you. They are as delightful to you as they are to the author of Psalm 119, which is the largest psalm in the whole Bible, and which does nothing but sing praises to God for his law, for his decrees, for his ordinances. Why is that such a joy? Well, when you follow God's commandments, then God will give you a life of joy. Remember that, young people. If you, if you follow the desires of the flesh, then you will find nothing but grief. After an evening where you pump yourself full of alcohol, comes the next morning with a hangover. And the memory and the realization and the consequences of all the stupid things you did while you were drunk. But when you are full of the Holy Spirit, then you are full of what God has done. Then you are thankful. Then you are thankful for your salvation. You are thankful for the many gifts of God. And you show your thankfulness in the way that you conduct yourself. Only thankful people are active members of the church. They are the ones who get things done without complaining. And they are the ones who at the same time build others up. They are also the ones who are interested in the, plights, in the plight of others. For they know what they have received from the Lord. And they want others to have the same. It is usually not the active members of the church who grumble about whatever goes on. No, thankful members are the joyful members and are the active members. And they are the ones who will roll up their sleeves without complaining. Much of the work is usually done by a few. Many others are not involved. But that's not how it ought to be. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, how thankful are you that you are a child of God and that you are allowed to serve him in freedom? How thankful are you that you can come to church every Sunday, twice a Sunday even, to hear the gospel? Young people, 
How thankful are you that you have been brought up in a Christian home where your parents have set certain boundaries, boundaries that God has set to protect you. How thankful are you? But now the question, if you are thankful, how does that show? If you are truly thankful, then you appreciate what others do for you. This is the opposite of being a grumbler. Grumblers always think about what others should do to serve him or her. They're always waiting for others to visit and to do things for them. And they're the ones who are always critical. They find fault with the other members of the congregation and especially the office bearers, including the minister. They're busy thinking about themselves and their own needs but not about the needs of others. Even if there is nothing you can do, you can always pray and have a positive attitude and encourage others. Paul says that we must always give thanks to God for everything. Paul himself is a very good example of that. He wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. He had very little when it came to earthly comforts. But in spite of his austere circumstances, he expressed joy and thankfulness. And that is why he even thanks God for the fact that he is in a position to bring others to Christ while he is in jail. That he can be a good influence to those guards in prison. He knows how joy and thankfulness can help others to come to know God. Think about what happened in the Philippian jail, for example. As we know from Acts 16, verse 25, he together with Silas sang hymns to God while he was in that prison. And this impressed that jailer and his family so much that that jailer and his family actually came to faith because of the joy that Paul expressed while he was in prison. It says in verse 34 that this jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Do you have that kind of joy as well? Paul gave thanks in all circumstances. But he says in Philippians 4 verse 11 that he has learned to be content in other words, thankful in all circumstances, even when the going was rough, even when he was being beaten to a pulp because of his faith, even when he had no clothes or possessions to speak of, even when others, including those who were converted through him, turned against him. He was thankful in all circumstances, no matter what. And because he was such a thankful person, he also looked out for the welfare of others. He looked after the needs of others. When he wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he did so because he perceived their needs. He practices what he preaches, building others up according to their needs, as he says in chapter 4, verse 29. That's what he means when he says that they must submit to one another. We come to the third point. The editors of some Bibles treat this statement as an introduction to the next section after our text which speaks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And indeed it is true that husbands and wives must submit to each other and that it applies there. But it applies first of all here. 
It is a summary statement of what he has said prior to this. Paul is saying here, by telling us to be submissive to each other, that we must be accountable to one another. And that is the way it is in every relationship, but especially in church. And so let me ask you another question. How do you think that's going here in this church? How do you look after the needs of the other members of this congregation? How are you going to do this, this new season? How are you going to do that in your study societies and in your get-togethers and in your interactions with each other? I have to ask myself that same question. For as your minister, it's my full-time task to look after your needs. I'm aware of some of the needs of this congregation, but certainly not all of them. And I need you to tell me what these needs are. The greatest need that you have is to hear the gospel of salvation. That is my primary task. I have to come to you with God's word, with God's comfort, and also with his warnings. I have to come with the good news of salvation to all those who believe. I have to do that especially from the pulpit and also in my visits. But it shouldn't be just the minister or the elder or the deacon who does all the visiting, for example. Each and every one of you has a task. There are certain tasks that regular members in the church can even do better than the office bearers in the church. I'm thinking, for example, of the interaction with those men and women who have special needs, the disabled, for example, or those who struggle with depression, or those who suffer the effects of childhood abuse, whether sexual or emotional or physical. A woman who has been abused by an authoritarian or a sexually abusive father or male person of authority will have great difficulty relating to a male. And therefore the women of this congregation have a great task here. Paul says in Titus 2 verse 3 and, and following that older women should train the younger women of the congregation. Are you also doing that? Older women of this congregation? As we saw earlier, joy is expressed through open dialogue. Someone who is full of the Holy Spirit is not afraid to open him or herself up to others and to God. But that is also something that you have to teach and model. How do you do that? You do that by being non-judgmental. You do that by carefully listening. Listening to the pain that others have. You do that by gently guiding such a person along and not by betraying confidences. You do that by truly caring for such a, pe for such a person. For they too should be able to experience the complete joy of salvation. Brothers and sisters, think about ways that we can improve, that we can improve as Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God wants to use each and every one of us as a building block. And we must be the best building block we can be, and we must help others to be the same. Don't leave it up to others. But please, once again, 
remember that this is not your own doing in the first place. It is, first of all, God's doing. God will fill you with his Holy Spirit if you have a humble heart. And if you want to accept what he says to you in his word, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you so that God's church will continue to be built and perfected until the last day. And then God himself will take away all the impurities that are left and, pre- and, and present himself to you as your God. And he will present you as a perfect bride to the groom. To him be the glory.